This is the Art of Warcast, a podcast about Legend of the Five Rings, the living card game from Fantasy Flight Games. Your hosts are Tobin Opus, Carl Anderton, and Doug Keister. Episode 44, Designing is Hard, but Talking is Easy. All right, welcome. I'm Tobin Lopez. I'm Carl Anderton. I'm Doug Keister. I'm Tyler Parrott. What are we up to today, Carl? The same thing we do every night. No, come on. We're interviewing Tyler Parrott. Yeah, every week. Well, if you have time to be on every one of our episodes, we could make space. <laughs> so as everyone knows, Tyler Parrott is the lead developer for the L5R Living Card Game. He's been in that position for about a year and a half. Uh, before stepping into that role, however, he had been involved in, in card games for over 15 years, both as a player and as a playtester. He even still loves the old Decipher Lord of the Rings CCG. Welcome to the cast, Tyler. As we learned at uh, Gen Con last year. <laughs> yes, every time I came upon you, you seemed to be playing that or, or opening Ooh. packs or something like that. Crazy. Yeah, that was a crazy discovery uh, to just be like, hey, remember this game I played in like eighth grade? We're doing that all weekend. <laughs> I just say you guys found packs. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, man. You have no idea. Like, <laughs> okay, well, at Gen like, Con, you can usually find packs of just about any of your favorite dead CCGs. I mean, I guess, but... yeah. No, we found booster boxes, like, plural, wow. like, multiple sets. No, it, it was it was all over the place. Oh, my word. I have fr- friends burning green with envy right now, so that's crazy. <laughs> so is there anything you'd like to add to my intro? Is there anything that I missed? Uh, is there anything cool going on in my life? Well, you recently got married. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, so that's been pretty cool. No, I think the only <laughs> thing to add is just that I'm more involved in the, the L5R story than I have been in the past. But that's you great. Not necessarily see that right away. Can you dive into that just a little tiny bit for us? How has your involvement changed in the story? I mean, if, if you can answer uh, that. Well, you may be familiar with the fact that Katrina Ostrander, Katrina Lee, left Fantasy Flight some months ago. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we worked out internally who was most involved in L5R as an IP. And the answer was me running the LCG and then Max Brook, who was the writer of one of the main authors and uh, people in charge of the core set of the role playing game. That's and cool. So the two of us, plus uh, a couple other people in the studio who are well, no- who are knowledgeable about the subject material and or L5R, um, are now a story group where we work together to figure out what we want to do, what happens next. We uh, help guide the direction of the RPG and and the fictions and and just figure out where the story for L5R is going, and also make sure everything lines up with itself, right? Because Obviously, if we uh, have content in the LCG and content in the role-playing game and content in the fictions, we want it to all be working together and not contradicting itself at every turn. That's pretty cool. Congratulations on on that. That sounds like you know a, a pretty good upgrade for your role. <laughs> it is cool. I've always been interested in the story worlds of games, sometimes more so than the games themselves. Um, I grew up playing Magic and Halo, and my interest in both of those to some extent was more about the IP than it was about the game itself. Um, I haven't played a Halo game in years, but I still follow <laughs> the books and the comics and stuff. Well, as a and role so, player, I understand that 
that it, that wanted to be really involved in the story. I think this is awesome. Surprisingly, there's a lot more world building. I guess maybe not surprisingly, there's a lot more world building that happens in an RPG supplement than in a you know ten page short story. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> or even a one hundred page novella. <laughs> True. Right. Well, um, so we got Children of the Empire recently. That finally came out. Yes, we've been, we've uh, we've done enough drooling and ranting about that. Yeah, uh, what's your feelings on its impact on the game so far? Any big surprises? We know you're pretty plugged into what's going online. Has everything kind of gone as you might have expected it to? Um, so far, the 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 first things that people have found have lined up with my expectations. Right, Miramoto Daisho is very good. Crane and Dragon dueling decks are very good. Yeah, um, I had I had one gentleman on or out at the beginning of turn two. Queen, yeah. Queen Honor. Yep. Very Wait. effective if you know what you're doing. Yep. Turn two? Before conflicts. Yeah. Wait, what? How That's impressive. Before conflicts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. He, it wasn't before conflicts. He got a conflict. He he got the conflict. Um, he used uh, contingency planning on the second uh, draw, right? So I bid four. He ended up bidding zero. He played way of the chrysanthemum to go from whatever 14 to 22 he had a bonsai garden and he went air wow. and he won. oh wow okay yep there you go and that was it i was like oh That's well there you go like all right cow. <laughs> you but, know, but that was so yes I, I i i did interrupt you but it was a it was a hell of a thing uh That's a- 25 25 honor at the end of this first conflict on the first turn or on the second turn so yeah that's pretty nuts the oh, is a card that I like because it it has the potential to be very game altering, pro- propelling you so quickly towards your victory condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's yeah. but if, but if you know that it's out there, you know then you can play around it. So it's it's not a card that's consistently going to win you games, but you're incentivized to run at least one, probably not more than two copies of it in an honor deck, just for those turns when you get your opponent when they're not paying attention. I will uh, keep my cancels on hand. So, besides Dragon and Crane, what other things have you noticed? Uh, Lion has been doing better in the wake of, I mean, obviously, small sample size so far, but mm-hmm. Lion, and also, I guess I should caveat that Lion has traditionally been a clan that is stronger in the European scene than in the American scene. Um, oh, yeah, good point. At least, at least in terms of my my minor observations, simply because like they got second place at Madrid and they just uh, I don't know exactly what place they got, but they did very well in Ireland, I think it was. Yeah. Um. But to see that they're now finding new space and new success. With some of the cards from Children of the Empire, which admittedly um, some late stage changes meant that they were not as strong as maybe they needed to be. Although, of course, at the time we were working on it, Lion was not a weak clan. So I was was not expecting Children of the Empire to have such a significant impact on Lion decks as it has been. Yeah, I've been playing a little bit on Jigoku since the release, and I've seen a couple of Lion decks that have been pretty good so yeah it's it may not be the strongest clan out there but it definitely got a boost for children and i think that people 
because it was weak for a couple for a few months uh, in the perception of the metagame, people figured out new ways to play it that was effective because they said, oh, well, the old way we were playing isn't winning, so how else can we play Lion that is strong? They figured that out, and then Children of the Empire gave them new tools that supported that playstyle. I swear that's the most common meta thing I see in various games is the um, strength for adversity problem. As long as something doesn't become completely, utterly bedrock burned bad, you know, and something goes wrong, people find it, they crank it back up, and then when it gets some more stuff, all of a sudden it's crazy strong. It's just like yeah. really good. Yeah, exactly. It's funny because uh, True Strike Kenjutsu, while being a card with obvious value, was not one that I ever leaned too heavily into, like, thinking that it was going to be the next hotness, the next big thing, the strongest tool for Lion. But even though Lion Dynasty characters don't have as high military skills as you would want for a card like True Strike Kenjutsu, people are making that card very effective. As always, they'll surprise you. <laughs> Which True. is good. Like, I wanted them to yeah. have a sweet duel. Like, I want, I want all of the clans to at least have options for sweet duels. And obviously some clans worked out better than others, but, like, to the the fact that scorpion and lion are both genuinely consider consider dueling at various times i think is a win i think that's cool because they're not traditionally dueling clans you said scorpion and lion yeah <laughs> okay yeah you're right they they aren't traditionally dueling clans <laughs> yeah, go, go face to face with someone in the fight come on <laughs> <laughs> well square I, I would say both of them have good available to them now i would say that each of them only have two good dual cards I guess I'm calling True Strike can do to a duelist now. I would say each of them only have two good duels, but they're good duels, and if you just put both of them in a deck, you can leverage that very effectively. And now you have a little bit of a duel. So speaking of all things honorable and, you know, maybe dishonorable, you Carl, <laughs> you scorpion, you. Mm -hmm. uh, honor is a big theme in Children of the Empire, <clears throat> which is great. Uh, it's uh, There's a lot of good flavor in Children of the Empire. That's the hope. But, but what are some of the other themes that you would like to maybe explore in future products, maybe in future, you know, premiums or future cycles? Are you trying to get me to spoil what's coming up next? Come on, get out of here. No, no, I'm just, you know, what are, what, I'm just wondering what your desire is. <laughs> not trying to get spoilers necessarily, just, you know, what are some things that you might, may or may not come to pass? One thing that I've been wanting to do for a long time that I finally get to talk about is Bushi trait support, right? Um, oh, yeah. Out of the core set, Shugenja was very strong. Elemental Cycle gave Shugenja more tools. Shugenja right now is the strongest trait, in my opinion. But this is a game about that is equally about Bushi and Courtiers. Yeah. And so... Well, you'll get no arguments for working on Right. Almost as soon as I started working on the Inheritance Cycle, I was like, okay, I want to make... I want to make people go out of their way to include Bushi and Courtiers the way they go out of their way to include Shugenja. Now, obviously, we'll see if that worked but that is definitely something that I've been wanting to do for a while. And it was very difficult because people in interviews or AMAs or whatever, prior to what, two weeks ago or whenever it was that we announced the inheritance cycle prior to that, I couldn't answer because otherwise it'd be too obvious of like, <laughs> Hey, yeah, I totally want to, you know, give more Bushi support. Oh, when are you going to do it? Well, uh, 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 ask me later. Oh guys, I think he's going to put it in the next cycle. So yes, I'm very glad that I can finally talk about that. Yeah, it's hard it's hard not to uh you know foreshadow things too much and give too many spoilers i get that uh and as someone uh, you know my my favorite clan is of course the crab and so as a clan that is light on shugenja and courtiers 
uh, I'm definitely looking forward to you know the the focus on the Bushi trait. That'll be awesome. Yeah, and and I'm excited about the the crab support in the inheritance cycle. I know it's a diversion from the air quotes meta deck that people are currently used to playing, but I think it's going to be very fun and it's going to be I think pretty effective. Interesting, interesting. Well, so dovetailing with the recently spoiled the focus on Bushi and Curtier, and I by the way I do like the perfect cut, which is the the card that gives you a plus two military to Bushi, and if they happen to win, they honor. I like that as kind of a replacement for Bonsai or in supplement to Bonsai. I like yeah. that one. So going on to other things, you recently spoiled the disguised keyword on the stream a couple of weeks ago on Valentine's Day. That disguised keyword is coming in the inheritance cycle. So can you can you share us a little bit about how that mechanic came to be? How did you, how did you include that? Well, it started its life as a different keyword, but I'm not going to talk about that because I still have hope that the, uh, the other keyword might exist some, someday. All right. Once we landed on disguised, I wanted to really. So the the deal with disguised was that it was always supposed to be a powerful payoff for non-unique characters, because. A, non-unique characters are most of the time punished, and B, unique characters tend to get the most rewards. Usually when a card does a good thing, it does a good thing for uniques, and if it does a bad thing, it does a bad thing to non-uniques. Uh, I would point out, uh, what's her face, the Phoenix Shugenja. Yeah, Uona. Mm-hmm. Uona, yeah, Isawa Uona. Yeah. Um, and effects like that tend to hit non-uniques because... Non-uniques make up most of the card pool, and also because being being unique generally is a downside. Um, it is just an extra restriction that is can can be problematic sometimes. Um, so it usually makes more sense to support or to penalize non-uniques to counteract that inherent disadvantage that they don't have to try to bring uniques and non-uniques into the same playing field. So. Being unique was something that we were playing around with a lot in the cycle, and uh, I didn't want to push it so hard that players would just always try to put all uniques in their deck all the time. Um, I wanted, and more importantly, I liked the story of turning this no-name character into someone with a name. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> that was that was that was basically the story that I was trying to tell with the, the mechanic, and so. I approached it from a top-down perspective of, okay, so we're having this character transform into this other character. What are the things that I need to do to make sure that that comes across within the rules of the game, right? Right, right. So that when I first read about the disguised keyword, the first thing I thought of was someone playing like a lion deck with a bunch of no-name Bushi out on the board, and all of a sudden one or more of them be become disguised scorpion uh, conflict characters that is something that i can definitely see happening where you've got your splash is a bunch of disguised bushy and all of a sudden the game changes well i did want to make sure that one or more of the disguised characters in the cycle were out of hand because like you said the unexpected disguise is as compelling as the foreseen disguise although a big part of how I wanted the disguise keyword to work is that your opponent knows it's there, but doesn't know when and doesn't know, knows that it could be there, but doesn't know when and doesn't know where. So they kind of have to try to 
play this dance where it's like every non-unique Bushi could be this person, could be a Kodo Zentaro at any given time. So I kind of have to assume that all of them are because that allowed for design space that characters from hand wouldn't be able to have. Mm-hmm. And also it is just a fun dance to play, right? I was going to say the, oh. gonna say the Sword of Damocles effect, but actually in that case, it's the Spartacus, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so's my wife. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the whole idea of, I mean, Zentaro's ability of being able to, like, grab a holding and pull it to the lion side of the table Oof. as a crab player with holdings, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I'm really scared about that. That's not a yeah. cool thing to think about. <laughs> He's, yeah. He'll climb the wall, get on the other side of it, and then all of a sudden, all the lion are standing behind him on his side, on the on the other side of the wall, and you can't Guys, do anything about it. I found a mine for us. <laughs> exactly. What do you want to do with it? <laughs> Let's hide there for a day. <laughs> Let's go, go back to the Monty Python bit. There's a there's a senior, piece of scenery rolling past in the background. Where is that yep. going exactly? <laughs> so yeah, it's it's very it's uh, very cool. I I. Uh, I'm looking forward to the disguise keyword. I want to see the crab one, of course, right? See, course. it's probably going to be my assumption. It's it's is that it would be a bushy, but uh, you've managed to surprise us before in the past. So I'm not <laughs> I'm not pinching you for information. I'm just speculating out loud. Disguised <laughs> monk. What? what? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, there we go. That there would be fun. Go. Could there it be a berserker go. monk? <laughs> Guys, Berserker, now we're talking. There you go. There you <laughs> go. I, I so want the Crab just, Berserker deck. I was going to say, and then everyone will be so mad that there aren't enough Crab Berserkers yet. <laughs> yeah. So there's the guy that you have to there's sacrifice the, somebody for. There's the Shadowlands guy, and there's Crisis Breaker. And then there's Crisis Breaker. Uh, the I Tainted might, Hero, you mean? Tainted yeah. Hero, yeah. Tainted Hero, Crisis Breaker. There's probably another Berserker somewhere. Is well, the Builder, help me out. Yeah. Yakimo's yeah, the, the, the unique guy, so he right. couldn't be. He couldn't come in. Crisis Breaker. Uh, Okita yeah. Amoro. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Well, yeah, yeah he's, but he's also but he's unique. unique. Yeah, he's unique. So you can't sack him for a disguise character. So probably not a disguise berserker. Coming oh, in berserker. There's your third berserker. Oh, there it we is. Did it. Also, everyone with a seal. <laughs> well, mentioning Crisis Breaker, one of the most um, common little cards I end up on when I do. So maybe I have hope for the berserker deck. <laughs> well, you were, you were talking about a very common um, card that gets taken when people take a particular role, neat segue, into a question that um, I'm, I'm sort of asking on the sufferance here because I think it's a dreadful idea, but could, could, you, I'm just this, could you see a time where we might be ignoring role locking? No. <laughs> wow, that's just kind of, kind of where I am with you, I'm yes. Just going to be honest. The, the transition of roles provides a lot of dynamic change to the game that lets me do things that I would not otherwise be able to do in terms of keeping the game fresh without having to release lots of new cards all the time. And also it gives players stuff to rally around and it lets me interact or the, the fact that you can't play certain role cards together obviously is, is a big part of it, but also like right now, for example, the Unicorn Clan is in this space where they don't want to give up Keeper of Fire. Their other, the other role they have is Seeker of Water. And they're split between we want a Fire role and we want a Keeper role. Because we don't want two Seekers, but we also want to keep playing Unleash the Jinn. 
how can we how can we get a role that is not keeper of fire like what's more important to us the keeper part or the fire part and that debate is going on and it's really cool and interesting and we would lose all of that because all unicorns would just always play keeper of fire if they wanted and there it wouldn't be as interesting as much as i know a lot of people want a world in which all roles are available to all clans all the time restrictions breed creativity and as we just covered with the lion clan like when you don't have access to every card or every tool that you want you get you end up with more creative solutions you end up with more player skill being relevant you get to more diversity in a metagame because you don't just have the one deck that someone does really well with that everyone copies totally i have aspirations towards a game designing brain sometimes and i've always seen that the role locking system is just something that made a ton of sense in what could be achieved with it i'm going to be honest the literally the first time that i was introduced to l5r they were like and then there's these roles and i was like this is incredible and innovative and there's so much design space here and i can't wait to see where it goes and then once i was added to the team decide where it goes <laughs> oh yeah oh, I, yeah I, you know i love the role locking personally uh we were playing netrunner tobin and i the game if there weren't if there weren't cards for a couple of months at you know by at the end of that you know drought of cards the the game would start getting kind of stale so the having a built-in mechanic that can refresh the game every so often is a beautiful thing in my opinion i will say that designing for roles is one of the most challenging parts of the game because you want them to be strong enough that they're compelling and people want to put them in decks you don't want them to be so strong they end up on the restricted list like feast or famine and pathfinder's blade Mm -hmm. but you also don't want them to be so weak like rid of authority that nobody cares about the role and nobody wants the role but you also want them to be numerous enough that when the roles change the card pool shifts in a in a noticeable direction but you don't want it to be so ubiquitous that a the entire card pool undergoes upheaval when that happens and b roles are not terribly conducive to people playing the game for the first time so you don't so you want the game to be able to exist without them for those new players right there's a lot of things to juggle with it, but yeah. Well, you just honest. named like five forces working on you yeah. simultaneously <laughs> in several different directions, right? So that's got to be hard. That said, it's still really interesting space to work with because it lets me show off different aspects of the clans. Because no clan is, each clan has preferences for specific elements, but no clan has. Crane is not the air clan. And Dragon is not the Fire Clan or whatever, right? Right. Um, but when you say, okay, but what does an Earth card for Dragon look like? You're like, that's kind of. I would not have gotten to this design space otherwise. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good thought, isn't it? Yeah, that you you you're looking at things through the lens of the elements and applying the clan's predilections and styles to it. Yeah, that's a really cool thought. So. In, in looking at some of the things, with the exception of, uh, I think it's Northern Wall Sensei, which is the dragon card that was, I think, a keeper dragon, only. Dragon keeper role only character? Yeah, keeper role. Uh, besides that, there were all, all for the, for the and then there's some, you know, obviously the seeker initiate and the keeper initiate. And then there's a couple of seeker keeper 
dynasty cards, but a lot of the elemental locks, locked cards are conflict cards. Is that uh, that seems to be the trend, and that's a kind of the safe way to go because then you allow for people to splash, and you're not locking them out of a dynasty card. Yeah. So switching to two rolls at, at a time per clan has actually opened up a little bit of design space. I would be much more dubious about putting uh, roll conditions on dynasty cards out of the fear of, well, what if they're just out of the card pool entirely? Putting roll restrictions on dynasty cards is easier when it's keeper or seeker because 50% of the rolls are keeper or 50% of the rolls are seeker. It's much harder if I yeah. put like yeah. an air roll only card into Crane's dynasty side. Um, that's much more dubious because not only might a year go by in which they don't have an air roll, unlikely because it's Crane, but <laughs> it's possible that multiple years could go by without that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even if the players wanted to vote for it simply because, you know, maybe there's more compelling things in other roles. Well, but then they're going to lose access to whatever they have that they want to like to keep that is of their, one of their current roles. And right. Yeah. I'm beginning to explore the space of making the keeper and seeker distinction and the elemental distinction more distinct from one another. Hmm. Um, that's not a very good way to put it, but also I don't want to give anything away. Um, right. Well, I see, I see that a bit in the oh, in the seeker keeper cards for the magistrates and children. Yes. I think that's the kind of the first time I've really seen. Okay, keepers are leaning this direction, and seekers are leaning that direction. Uh, well, and also I'm exploring the idea that the difference between keeper or the keeper seeker choice and the elemental choice aren't directly linked to each other, not because of the system that we have where you can vote for the two of them separately, but more because like, I want keeper of air and seeker of air to feel distinctly different from one another, but I also want keeper of fire and keeper of air to feel distinctly different from one another. And obviously like, yeah, you're just gonna, all the keeper cards and all the air cards and whatever are going to be just a different card pool than the seeker cards and the air cards. But I want keeper seeker to feel like a difference from one another and I want the five elements to feel like a difference from one another so that when you do the mixing and matching you get ten different feelings instead of five or instead of two that's pretty totally. cool totally. well yeah so what so what I'm thinking is would it be right to say that so if I go keeper of air keeper of fire yes I have the air cards in my conflict deck versus the fire cards but those cards being in there changes another critical mass of the conflict deck. So it's not just a switch, straight switch air roll cards for fire roll cards. It's air roll cards and these come in mm -hmm. versus fire roll cards and versus the other deck. Those drop out and then these other ones come in. So instead of swapping out seven cards for just based on roll locking, you're switching out. 10 or 15 that's right? certainly so the it changes hope. the flavor of the conflict deck right is that like, what you're going for i mean that's that's certainly an, an aspiration i mean we'll see how effective it is but mm -hmm. the idea of unicorn with a fire roll gets to run really wide because they have unleashed the gin whereas unicorn with the earth roll maybe focuses on a different aspect of unicorn maybe unicorn with a water roll focuses on exploration or unicorn with a air roll focuses on cheap characters or something like that uh 
or your unicorn in their new stronghold will focus on playing really big cards with really big costs because they've exposed everything on the other side of the table. <laughs> yeah, well, good luck exposing everything on the other side of the table when you your entire deck is Yuri Tomos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, like leniency was about letting uh, unicorn fight in multiple conflicts, whereas unleash the gin is about unicorns winning a single conflict really really well that kind of mm-hmm. thing yeah it, it sounds a little like um like the idea behind it is somewhat the rpg skill tree the video game kind of thing you know you, you yeah. you're still playing unicorn and then right okay if you go keeper or seeker you've split down one of two paths and then the colors of the elements help to dictate within those what kind of thing you're focusing on yes um mm-hmm. the keep the keeper seeker thing usually ends up being more of a are they more about do they have access to this suite of tools that do unique things or this suite of tools that do unique things, right? Um, yeah. yeah, precisely. I, I could point at Talisman of the Sun, which everybody wants because it's a really strong Keeper card. But maybe if we really need to play this element card, but we can't get Keeper of that element, then do we settle for what's that Seeker Dragon thing that doesn't let you take your opponent take Fate off? Stone of Sorrows. Stone of Sorrows, and now we explore a different path instead because we couldn't get the Keeper card we really wanted because we need this element, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. That's great. Uh, So one thing that I'm curious about, sort of dovetailing with the role choices, uh, what are your plans for the restricted list? Uh, Do you have, have you settled on like a schedule for updates or at least for reviewing it? So I had this, uh, this grand plan at one point of releasing, of, of updating the rules every month if necessary and just, and being like, oh, we're not going to update this month if not necessary. Uh, turns out that's too fast of turnaround. I just can't get enough data in, in the course of a week to have a, a, a rules reference update that frequently. And also, I think we've reached the point where we don't need that, right? Um, okay. Mm-hmm. A year ago, there was a lot more cleanup that needed to be done in the rules, whereas now I think we're mostly in a, in a good space. Cool. Because um, yeah, I can the, see it dovetailing with the role choices, like the, the role choices happen along with a restricted list update or something like that. Well, I wouldn't want to go that far because I want people to feel like their role choices were effectively paid off. Um, okay. Right, because you want to you were... want them to make the role choices with some assumptions, some assumption assumptions that the restricted list is more or less stable. If or at least re- that they know what they're getting into when right, they make the right, right. Like, yeah, precisely. I know yeah. some people were kind of salty about Feast or Famine and Guest of Honor going on the restricted list immediately after Worlds. Mm-hmm. Granted, that's why I told people ahead of time that Feast or Famine would get restricted. I didn't know what other changes were going to be made because Worlds influenced that. And I think that's the big thing is that like, yes, I want to make sure that the restricted list is updated as often as is necessary. But also, I need enough time to get the data that I need to make an informed decision. And then there's some delay. There's some processing time once I submit the rules changes before they can get published. So that means that like you're unlikely to see restricted list changes more than three or four times a year. But also, if it isn't necessary, I'm not going to make a change. That's good keep an eye i guess keep an eye on the metagame and keep talking obviously i I listen to as much as i have the time and ability to read about what people are thinking plus you know obviously the information that i know is coming but like nothing is permanently on the restricted list except maybe charge um 
Nothing is permanently on the restricted list, but also I have a decently sizable list of cards that are on the watch list or whatever. Right, right. Well, <laughs> it's, it's funny. We were talking about, uh, I've had a few people message me. Uh, w- one listener celebrated his Hatamoto status with us, so he just earned Hatamoto this past weekend. So he's like, I got it. And he's like, Phoenix is a thing. It's a really big thing. And it probably needs to be taken off at the knees. So Jason and I were having a conversation. And I was like, what What do you do besides uh, against the waves? You know, putting right, it against back. the waves back on. And, and I'm like, well, yeah, but then, then you don't have anybody splashing Phoenix. And that was the whole idea behind ATW going on, go, coming off and Tadaka going on and and so I asked Jason, I said, what if you don't if you don't do well against the waves? And Jason just did, without even blinking said, embrace the void, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> now, I'm not again, I'm not poking you for information. I'm just putting that out there. And I was like, embrace the void. Really? OK. I mean, it makes a lot of money. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. So and, and do that yes. as if to corroborate his his statement. A couple of days later, I was playing in Jagoku and playing a phoenix player and he played three embrace the voids on my characters with multiple fate on them and i'm like oh you're gonna get that money back that sucks Um, (laughs) and he always seemed to be mr Moneybags on that side so so it's it's good that you're watching and you have a watch list i don't want i certainly don't want uh, as a personal as a person who plays this game i don't want the rl changing once a month would be rough once every quarter, once every quarter is probably at least the revisiting and saying, oh, yeah, we're not going to do anything. So, yeah, I mean, that's a big thing for me is I think the community, too, is always happier when they, when you pop up and go, we've we had a look at it. It's that time. There's nothing much broken. Move on. Yeah. At least, you know, they, they get the idea that people are definitely watching. You know, and, they just need to be reminded. And by the time yeah, anything something... might come up on the watch list to the point of restricted list, the combination might be broken by the rotation of the roles. Oh, Lord, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, we have roll um, rotation coming up May 1. <laughs> we don't know what we're getting, <laughs> but it's there <laughs> two months from now. The, the the thing about the restricted list, again, is that, well, so obviously what I would like to do at some point in the future is get to the point where there can be a consistent and predictable schedule so that people know, oh, a restricted list change is coming. Oh, they announced that there's no changes. Great. We don't have to worry about it because I think that goes over well with people. Obviously there's going to be times where we need to emergency restrict or emergency unrestrict or whatever, Mm -hmm. but also that depends on working out the schedule for the game long-term, which is not something you can always predict. (laughs) Well, more, more communication is always better than less communication, right? So if, If you can get to that schedule and people in the, in the player community knows that schedule, you can come in and say, okay, hey, yeah, the schedule, it's the scheduled time for the restricted list update, no changes. But then when you do something, when you come out and say, okay, we've got a restricted list change coming, it's an emergency change for reasons, you know, the, the player community is, is aware of it and, and then they can say, oh, well, then you know, next, at the end of the next quarter, the next you know, scheduled time, maybe we won't see one. So there's, or maybe that emergency now has been solved long term and it can come off the restricted list or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, stability is always good, particularly because when you do do the occasional patch fix, people can go, "Well, okay, they were watching this, they caught it, cool, they've done their job." You know, 
that that brings up a a, a little point I had, which is how the, you've you've been doing these uh, now. Uh, unfortunately, as we talked before starting recording, there's L5R isn't on the stream schedule for March, but you definitely had some great great events, great moments uh, in in February. How what do you how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that reaching out? I think that's more communication. That's in the under that more communication thing, and I. I think it's been well received. What's the, what's the buzz in the building, with respect to the oh, stream? Oh, that stream went great. We definitely want to do more. The only reason that there isn't anything for L5R scheduled for the March stream is simply because the media team is building up their infrastructure and they want to bring in as many different games from FFG's stable as they can, and FFG has enough games that it's going to be very likely and very common i think for a game to not be on the stream in the way that we did it for february mm -hmm. i think that it's going to be common for a game to not have a stream for a month or two right. simply because there's like so many games that we want to show off that are really cool <laughs> like we're going to be showing off more keyforge we're going to be showing off outer rim uh i guess i if I'm going to start listing Legion, these, pull up the actual list. Yeah, Star Wars um, Legion, I think, is on there a couple of times. Keyforge is on there a couple of times. Yeah, and Outer with only... Yeah. Oh, yeah, Journeys in Middle-Earth, right? Like, mm -hmm. if, if, we're, if we're talking about there's only eight time slots per month, and there are more than eight games, yeah. math says you can't do them all. Right. And frankly, uh, different games are going to need them and want them at different times. For example, there's a reason that we did L5R when we did L5R, and there's a reason that we scheduled it so that the stream lined up with the announcement of the Inheritance Cycle because we wanted to have the context of an interview mm -hmm. to talk to explain how the disguise keyword works because yeah, it's a co yeah. complicated mechanic. Like, if there isn't something that needs this particular game to be on at a specific time then it probably won't be mm -hmm. unless no game has a need in which case we'll be like oh great okay so no game needs this time slot so who hasn't been on the stream in a while great right, get, out, right. get in here you haven't been here here since february right now i do want to file a, a grievance i've already filed it with uh <laughs> the, the big man brad himself but i did have to i, I did the last time we talked about the role article that I wrote a couple months ago actually popping up on a Tuesday. And then two hours later, the biggest fracking game that you guys have released in a couple of years announces the next set and completely takes my thunder. I'm <laughs> so afraid. I, like, wow, I don't that know. sucked. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, some of those are, are always just accidents because marketing is working with, <laughs> so many different games and they have different people you know working on different games oh so no like, no i I, the... <laughs> I know it's a complete i know it's complete coincidence randomness yeah. but i was i i figured you it, it is these it's the coincidences that have us that we need to take advantage of to give our friends a hard time right that's that's what we need to do <laughs> I, was, I mean that's what you do best right exactly yeah. and on, on that evening i was sat at my um, regular gloomhaven game and tobin wandered up and he's like well you got overshadowed <laughs> <laughs> and yes yes i did <laughs> <laughs> I'll take every opportunity to tease my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, now, with the recent OP. Oh, and by the way, um, the, when you see Alex Watkins, give him a big old fist bump. 
hug whatever for me because I was pleasant to see in the AMA that winter court is larger than just world championships. That that was awesome. And and it was a relief to me because I loved coming to Minnesota in November. Yes, I'm one of the crazy ones, but uh, I love doing well, it. The fact that it's actually the that the winter coat is actually expanding is great. Yeah, it's, there's actually going to be more events. Yeah, it's well, very and that cool. was the thing, right? Is like we didn't want to talk about stuff that wasn't finalized yet, so it wasn't all going to get talked about right away. And that's why we needed, we needed a little bit of extra time from the, Hey, here's the, the plan for the future to, okay, now we've actually worked out what events are going to be happening and what they're going to be called and who they're going to be by. And mm-hmm. now we can talk about all of the things that you don't know about because we've actually figured out what those are. Right. Um, and there's going to be more, there's going to be more stuff as, as we work out logistics and, come up with new ideas that are like, Hey, you know, it'd be cool as if we did this thing at winter court because it's a fun way to play L5R. Okay, great. Let's, right. Now that we figured it out. Guess what guys? More L5R. Yay. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is the, the, it allows you as a company and, and yes, those are all just and reasonable decisions. And it also allows you as a company to, to really say, okay, maybe, maybe it's an un, unforeseen consequence, but you announce that Worlds is going to be invitation only, and then you see the passion come out from those of us in the community who say, "Well, I have no aspirations. I, I'm, I have, I have no real hope of winning. I'm coming for the community." And you see how passionate it was, and and therefore it allows you as a company to verify. I'm like, "Oh, okay, these people really want to come, and what we'll offer them, we need to, we need to do justice by that, by those plans." And so it allows you to take the temperature of and, and get an, a level of expectation from the community, which might be unforeseen, but it allows you to do that, right? Like, it, uh, it, certainly, it certainly does help. Um, hopefully people aren't too salty about the way in which that had to happen, but uh, it is very validating to be sure to be reminded how many people want to come, not for the competition, but just for the community and for the game. Yeah, totally, yeah. Totally. And 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 there's nothing like standing out on the the deck of a Joe Sensors and smoking a cigar in ten degree weather. That there's also that. <laughs> I was going to say you talk about being crazy. You travel you travel several states to a even colder area than here to stand outside and smoke. Yes, <laughs> because I'm smoking with L5R players. <laughs> so, but and but L5R players that you don't often get to see at that. No kidding. Exactly. True. So the reason I brought that up. Uh, a few minutes ago, was because FFG, it's obvious in, in their tournament kits and their store kits and everything else, is a, they're making a big push to grow the casual player community uh, with the changes to those kits and OP in general. What do you foresee from your position as the biggest hurdle to building a larger casual game group, a larger, a larger casual following for the game? Well, certainly the question that I'm always grappling with in that context is simply the fact that this is a very complicated game. L5R, I think, has the highest or is uh, in the same ballpark as the highest learning curve for a game. If I sit down and want to play it and I've never played it before, how hard is it going to be to learn to play it the first time? Obviously, the more games you play, the better you're going to be, the more intuitive it's going to feel and the more natural it's going to be. But if I have to if the game is so difficult to learn the very first time that I am not encouraged to come back and play it a second time, 
then obviously it's going to be hard to get new people to play the game. Um, and new people, new players is the lifeblood of casual scenes. And I think for games in general. So certainly, and probably of course, this perspective is because this is what I have any amount of influence over. It's a complicated game. So finding ways to make it accessible without taking away the things that we all really love about the game, but also making it either providing the tools to help people get into the game without having to grapple with all of the decisions all at once immediately, or providing a better, this is not the right word, but I'm going to say it, a better script for learning or teaching so that people can learn the game without, again, it comes down to how can we get people to play the game without having to comprehend all of the decision points that are in this game because this is there's so many decision points in this game and there's so many things to keep track of right away it's still hard now like when i'm when i'm sitting there this i think the single hardest decision i have to make in any game of l5r is when i'm first player and i have to decide what ring to go for on the first turn first conflict first turn at least, at what, least information point. Yeah. What what ring? Like the other? Do it water? I don't know. Almost, and and a lot of times, it almost doesn't matter because like all of the rings could do good things for you. In fact, they almost all do do good things for you. Mm-hmm. So then, having to prioritize between, you know, this would uh, be seven what... out of ten goodness, and this would be six out of ten goodness, and this would be six and a half out of ten. Like <laughs> the difference there is so minimal that you. There's no obvious choice. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like I I find myself enjoying um, dynasty characters that encourage a certain ring play for that reason because I can kind of go, hey, I play this guy, I have a plan, I go do it. You know, I can get on with this thing. You know. And certainly more specialized characters that are either have abilities or just skill values that are saying, hey, guess what? This person just wants to be military all the time. Like that at least helps with that decision. Yeah. How do you? Here's, this might be more information than is immediately forthcoming, but have you guys considered something in the old realm of um, Magic the Gathering dual decks? Basically, a couple of pre-built decks intended to be played against each other and not much else. I can see that as a pretty good tool for L5R if you make two things to go here. We're just taking a, a facet of the game and saying, here's how it's played. You know, Here's how it works. I don't know how reasonable or not that is, but the thought comes to mind with something such a deep and branching style game that we have here. Well, Game of Thrones did do intro decks uh, a few years ago, and while I can't confirm anything, I can at least say that the success of those is something that I've been keeping an eye on to see if that would be a valid option. Yeah. Now, well, we, we don't know yet, but like, mm-hmm. it, it's the certainly... The World Champion deck could also be something that could sort of be kind of an intro deck sort of thing if we get more of them. You know, it's possible. They have the... I don't think they're... I mean, since they're designed to win tournaments, they're not necessarily always going to include the best learning tools yeah. in the deck list. But like, as a entry point of buy a deck and play it, I think it can totally serve that purpose. Yeah, yeah no argument there. Yeah, totally. And they're gorgeous cards. You get all the full art, so that really helps too. <laughs> yes, they do look quite good. <laughs> well, we kind of brushed up against a fair bit here. We've got a question from one of our uh, folks on Facebook, John M, asking, what are the problems or concerns uh, with the game that are atop of your list right now? I actually think the game is doing really, really well. I have 
So it's not like the hawk tattoo days where there was a flaming ball uh, in the sky and, and you had like to figure the, out how to take it down. <laughs> and it wasn't even like the pre-restricted list days where it was like, well, policy debate and charger in every deck. And Scorpion's like really, 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 really good. Yeah. Uh, no, I think I think the game is actually in a really good spot right now. I think that people are going to get a lot of exciting new things to work with from the 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 upcoming clan packs um, oh god yeah honestly all five of them but certainly the crane and unicorn ones right away um and there's a lot of great stuff coming in the inheritance cycle and i'm very curious to see how that goes but i'm not nothing is immediately jumping out to me as problematic right now yeah, yeah it's good i just i just want to have my crab cards earlier of crab pack earlier than everybody else after the i want crab <laughs> to follow crane and unicorn I have a suspicion that's not going to be the case. I think Crab is coming after Lion. We know Dragon is coming last, so that's that's. Yes. there's only two spots left. There's only one degree of... Yeah. You I share your suspicion with yep. that, Tobin. It's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be last. Uh, <laughs> so Doug B. asks uh, via Facebook, he says, looking at the core and Imperial Cycle cards, fate cost, influence cost, and overall power levels, he says... We know there are issues with overpowered <laughs> cards in those categories and misses, of course, and, and that's to be expected. But he asks, what are some of the challenges in designing current cards against those and getting players to displace some of the auto-include cards like Court Games, Bonsai, and which are starting to fall into that category without making just an, another overpowered card? So how do you... And, and I think... I think uh, the previously, the one we talked about, a perfect cut is a good example of maybe pushing out bonsai. You get a little military bump, but you don't. Exp not only do you not spend another honor, but you can actually honor the character. You can use bonsai in addition to a perfect cut to kind of count counter the effect of losing the honor for bonsai. It's weird, but I'll let you answer the question instead of me answering it. <laughs> <laughs> so the short answer is: so the first thing that I learned was that redundancy is not always a problem. Once I started seeing early on that Lion players were running Bonsai and Legion of One in the same deck, I'm like, okay, so if I printed more Bonsai-adjacent cards, cards similar to Bonsai, it's not the end of the world if they both exist together because there are going to be people that want both, people that want six to nine Bonsais or whatever. So then if I am going to design another Bonsai, maybe that's in a specific clan, the key then is to make that play in a slightly different way so that you're encouraged to either focus on what that clan's identity, you know, thematic or mechanical identities are, or it's something like a Legion of One, or, or it's just something that I'm giving to you so that you can have multiple similar effects in the same deck for redundancy purposes. But also it helps actually that court games and bonsai at least specifically are both max one per conflict so that if i make a a court games adjacent card that's not max one per conflict or a bonsai adjacent cards that's not max one per conflict maybe you want to take this new one because you can specifically because you can play multiple in a conflict or mm -hmm. you're encouraged to run maybe one or two court games and one or two of the new card instead of three court games and zero of the new card or something like that the short answer is it's not terribly difficult to design cards that are similar to previous cards, but maybe with a new twist. 
uh, without making them too powerful. Right. Although obviously if they're, if they're too weak, the, the thing is to give it something unique about the new card. Exactly. At the end of the day, the trick is to give them something unique about the new card that the default doesn't have. Right. Yeah. That's why bonsai can exist alongside spreading the darkness, spreading the darkness is just a bonsai that costs an extra honor, but you get the protection out of it. Mm -hmm. And a perfect cut is a bonsai that you, but has a, has a lower cap of how much skill it can grant, but it gives you this additional bonus. If you, if you win, certainly I, I've, I strongly feel that once the card pool is large enough, even redundant, similar effects, because they have different twists on each other, will make some players gravitate towards some and other players gravitate towards others. Um, I could make court games and put the word spell on it, and now certain players would be more encouraged to play it and certain players wouldn't. Right. Um, just like, I, I guess I don't have much to say for favorable ground because holdings, holdings operate in kind of a different space. And well, and I'm not so sure favorable ground is an auto-include. Right. There's a yeah. I've seen I've had plenty of games where there isn't a favorable ground ever come up. That doesn't mean it's not yeah. on the deck, but, you know, it just doesn't well, come up. And also, it's one of those effects that, like, it's easy to end up cutting at the end because it's just so default. It doesn't it doesn't have any real synergy for like it. It often doesn't have very much synergy. And so if I'm trying to build a very synergistic deck, the like default cards end up getting cut because they don't have synergy. Like I might cut bonsai from my deck, not because it's bad or the new cards are better, but simply because it doesn't say the word monk on it. So I'm going to take hurricane punch instead, mm -hmm. or it doesn't say the it doesn't in interact with duels at all. So I'm going to take this other card that does interact with duels. And there's only 40 spots in my deck to start with. So like, I can't, I have to cut something and I'm going to take the least synergistic things out maybe mm -hmm. even if those things are strong so synergy can do a lot to um, address auto includes but also like auto includes aren't the worst thing uh, obviously it's going to take a while before court games starts getting cut from decks but <laughs> i don't have it in my crab deck <laughs> yeah like, i haven't played I it in crab for a long time often don't run court games yeah so as decks build towards more specific styles of play there just isn't room for these and also i, I it's important that these tools exist yeah. like it's not like i would ever want court games or bonsai to be out of the game yeah exactly because it's important that they exist as an option for people because there are decks that do need just as many skill pumps as they can get or and also like the the defaults tend to be simple effects and a lot there's a lot to be said for simple effects mm-hmm I think the, the Banzai and the Perfect Cut comparison is an interesting one too. Because to me, Banzai is a card you fire on someone you're not planning to have around for very long to make them do something before they leave. Perfect Cut is less of a buff, but honor someone and they'll have a longer effect on the game. So those are two very distinct things, definitely. Exactly. So Doug, on, Doug B. on Facebook asks another question. How much more cleaning up of the RRG are you hoping to do? And will we see some of the odder loopholes like play and put into play or playing as if they are in your hand and still counting as playing from your province, HMD and Toshi Rando ruling, cleaned up at some? The short answer is I'm always looking to clean up the rules and make them more intuitive. 
the longer answer is I don't want to be doing it so often that the game is constantly shifting out from under everyone's feet. It's going to be some things. It's always going to be difficult because different people have different opinions of what is intuitive and what is not intuitive or what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Right. When you're getting into um, intuition, it starts to, it, you, you start to operate in that. Uh, if I do it here, then I'm, then I'm uh, making it less intuitive for these people. If I make this yep. change, I'm making it more intuitive for these, but less intuitive for those. And so the, but I think if I might, might uh, add my two cents here, uh, Doug B on Facebook instead of our Doug Keister is <laughs> one of the things is that I've seen a lot of more consistency from Tyler's designs in terms of wording play and put into play. He's being very deliberate when, you know, the corset was being designed and even those first cycle or two, there was not, there, there was some, but there were some inconsistencies in language. Right. And Tyler has made it a point to stabilize that, normalize that language. And so I think, at least from what I've seen, you'll see some uh, a lot more consistency with with respect to catching these play put into play put playing as if they're in your hand playing as if you're in the province. Those things will be cleaned up uh, on the cards, if not also through the RRG. So that's what I've seen of of Tyler's work, and it's been a glorious because. There have been there have been issues with games I've played in the past where that consistency hasn't been there, and ugh, it all kinds of fall, kind of falls apart. Well, it's certainly uh, heartening to hear you advocate for that on my behalf. Yes, that is definitely something that I care a lot about in terms of making the text on the cards as straightforward and as clear as possible. Yeah, um, and it's something that I work a lot to try to maintain and that's why things like Hide Yakumo has flight has reminder text um, I'm definitely in favor of reminder text whenever necessary or whenever there's any question that it might be necessary in terms of existing rules reference rules updates like there are still a few things that uh, I have my eye on but they're not big deals right now and it's not like it's not like anything needs to change right now and I want to make sure that if I do make more rules changes in the vein of the let go watch commander thing that just changed, right? Which if was I do more which, things uh, like I, that. Yeah, which was perfectly reasonable. Sure that, <laughs> yeah, I want to make sure that A, it's done in the correct way, B, it's done in the correct time, and most importantly, that it lines up with where I'm designing for the future. I will comment that the kind of communication we're getting on those fronts is has been really helpful recently. The Watchman um, rollback being a classic example of you saying, we know we said that before, we've changed our mind. Yes, we know. And just, <laughs> I, I will be stating that, you know, rather than saying, we're changing this and letting the vacuum, letting the noise build up around it. You're saying, we know, we know, we've changed our mind, we're doing something differently. That, I think, has been really helpful. Well, and it's almost necessary, to be perfectly honest, because otherwise it'd be very easy for people to not realize it was a change. Totally. <laughs> well, um, we've got another question here. Um, Edo, which now I think about it as a historical Japanese city, but um, Edo <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> um, my, my, uh, my stream of consciousness, apologies. Um, which, which secondary clan theme do you feel is the least developed? So a good question there is, what do we think the secondary clan themes are? Um, 
Yeah, that's a that's that's its own question. <laughs> no kidding, right? Yeah. Cuz like I see clan themes as each clan has all the themes that they have, but none mm. of them are necessarily primary or secondary. Now, certain clan themes are not very well developed. Certainly Lion Revenge or Crab Berserkers or whatever, like they exist, but they aren't super well developed mm. as a theme. Uh but that's just more to do with the fact that I only have so many card slots and I want to focus on different things at different times, not necessarily that it is a secondary theme for that clan. I, I get a feeling, my, my intuition here is that um, Ed is working towards things like, say, uh, tribal-style keyword decks. So the Scorpion Shinobi not being the main Scorpion deck. Oh, I see. Dragon Monk, I think. That's what the impression I'm getting. So we mentioned Bushi earlier. Now, he is, a, he is a Lion player, so oh, he so might be coming from that point of view. Well, yeah. You think he's asking about commanders? Maybe. Oh, yeah, points. Oh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, most most of the clans do seem to have a, a keyword type that pops up and is not the, the keyword they mostly care about, you know? With the exception of Dragon, because yes. you could argue that Monk is, is a secondary uh, secondary trait, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's a primary trait. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no argument um, there, yeah. Yeah, okay, so if we're talking about that, which one's the least developed? I mean, certainly right now, there's not really anything for commanders or berserkers. Shinobi at least have a little bit. Duelists have a decent amount now. Cavalry have a ton. Yeah. Yeah, cavalry has has seen uh, their their uh, tag grow. Um, Scholar has a little bit, but it's mostly just sitting on the back of Asako Suki. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, well, and then crab berserkers basically only have what's his face crisis breaker commanders basically have nothing so sure we'll go with commanders i guess <laughs> if i had to pick but those three i guess would be the three that that have the least trait support and and i and i still i'm still hoping for berserker training or berserker to come right berserker training i was thinking about duelist training on my berserkers because i've used that effectively before in the past the, having berserkers would be awesome um, so this training's so. a powerful card. What can I say? Yep. Yeah, it's only a matter of time before they all get. Yep. They all get supported in different ways. Yep. So, uh, so berserker training. So many card slots in any given set, and mm -hmm. if I want to focus on one element of the of the clan that isn't that trait specifically, then uh, they're maybe getting zero to one card per cycle, and that's not a ton. So, so just in a in a follow up to that statement. How you so you you designed some clan packs you you've done the you did the inheritance cycle but how freeing did you feel like a kid in a candy store when they said hey let's do this deluxe expansion you get to design eighty plus cards did you just feel like oh the the cuffs are off I get to design a whole lot um no or did you go oh crap <laughs> I have to design a whole lot <laughs> well so the answer is neither a cycle is going to have twice as many cards as or almost twice as many cards as, you know, a Children of the Empire style deluxe. Yeah, almost, yeah. 50% um, more. A clan pack is going to have more cards for a sp a single clan than a Children of the Empire style deluxe. I would say a, a, a premium expansion like this, like Children of the Empire, arguably has the least number of cards in comparison to other kinds of products. It's just that they all happen at once. And so you felt less... so you felt a little restricted with the size of children, as opposed yes, to, to really okay. I would, I would say that that I probably was more restricted than not. I wanted to do more with honor, 
but there were there was only so much so many card slots and dueling needed to take the bigger focus just because dueling needed more support than honor did as a theme right if we say that the theme of the of the box is dueling and honor i mean you could make two deluxe boxes just about honor yeah totally. that's interesting because from 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 the player point of view we get it and we go ah all these cards for everything right like it's it's uh, every color of the rainbow is represented (laughs) and but from your point of view it's like eh i get a few of every color of the rainbow instead of being to really develop a clan's uh, a clan's identity or a clan set of cards through a cycle through the course of a cycle or something like that so interesting well consider it this way like in children of the empire each clan only got nine cards i think um yeah something like that yeah maybe ten yeah something like, like that. that's not very many cards five <laughs> five and five and, and five those I think. cards and then to have those cards try to explore more than one theme you're now getting down to like one or you're getting down to like two or three dueling cards per clan two or three honor cards per clan two or three imperial cards per clan or whatever right Mm -hmm. those are the themes does the um delivery method of cards like that affect how you design you know you know it's turning up in a large deluxe versus spread over time in a in a cycle is that quite a big swing no cycles tend to be designed as a unit simply because it's it's easier to test a cycle at once than it is to try to test six packs individually. Although I do occasionally, I would say I take a little bit more liberties with designing cycle cards than with big deluxe expansion cards like this, because if I think a card is going to be problematic, I can fit it into a specific spot in the cycle since I have six months over which to, to release the cards. Interesting. Whereas I just have to assume that all, or I, I do assume that all the cards in a box are coming out together. Yeah, like so. Um, but yeah, mo- for the most part, it doesn't really change much on my end. Um, it it matters at the, it matters when I decide which cards go in which packs, of course, because then I'm trying to design the 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 sequence of development for the themes or the cycles or identities to the packs or whatever it is that I'm doing with the cycle development, but big mm-hmm. deluxes don't have that. So yeah, yeah totally. And so, and, and you probably give some considerate consideration to should rotation happen. I'm, 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 it's coming at one point, right? Sometime in the, in the near or far flung future cards, there will be evergreen cards and there will be not evergreen cards. And is that a consideration as well? Like having in mind what you have in mind for rotation, you're like, okay, if I do this, for this card, it's going to stick around. Uh, in this particular product, it's not going to stick. It, it's it's not going to stick around for the life of the game. Is that a consideration as well? Sometimes, without I don't want to give anything away. No, no, no. I'm not asking. Um, you to. Yeah. But as a general rule, I tend to prefer the simpler effects to be evergreen and the more complex ones to be uh, rotating. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's not going to stop me from putting a good simple card in, in in a cycle if I come up with a really cool simple idea because cycles need a certain amount of, you know, I need to have a cap on the complexity for cycles too. So mm-hmm. I'm always trying to get interesting cards into the game without making them complicated. And that is its own hurdle. <laughs> right. Totally right. so. Totally so. So uh, Joseph on Facebook asks uh, the potato question. 
potato question. If you were a potato, what kind of potato would you be? Joseph always oh, chimes in he, he, he with likes this particular one. question. <laughs> I would be a sweet potato because I'm sweet and tasty. There you go. There you go. There you go. I'd be a ham. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Get out of here. <laughs> be a ham? You are a ham. There it is. Uh, yes. Uh, he also wants to know if you have a favorite Hatamoto or a favorite L5R player. Wow, here we go. Well, I don't really follow. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I only have so much time, and it is more important for me to follow the cards and the decks than it is to follow the players. Right. Although That's I, a good point. Although I hope that the players get more attention, bling, reputation, or whatever few celebrities. for their successes because I think they've earned it. Certainly, uh, I hope and I believe that OP is working on restructuring the online Hall of Heroes or whatever it's called, Hall of Hatamotos. Yeah, Hatamoto Hall or Honor Hall or Hall of Honor or something yeah, like that. I think, like, yeah, I think that's a great idea, and I think that's the kind of stuff that, that people love. Certainly, that was the kind of stuff that I loved when I was a player. Right. Um, that said, I don't follow the players well enough to have a favorite, so... Yeah. I'm sorry, I got to pay well, more attention to the cards, guys. Yeah, and and no and really those the Hall of Honor and the and the page itself. When I saw that go up, uh, having a little visibility to those kinds of processes, I'm like, but there's tournaments happening every weekend. If somebody, you know, if you have half a dozen people are in Hatamoto every weekend, there's it's almost a you know that's almost ten or fifteen hours a week of commitment from uh, someone inside FFG to maintain that website, and. That's insane, right? Like, well, it depends it, on what it takes your expectations a lot of, are. <laughs> yeah, it takes a it, well, it takes a lot of work to, you know, put up pictures, put them up in a certain way, so on and so forth. Yeah. So, you know, you just oh, bite off pictures what, are involved. Yes, oh, yeah. and then having having been someone who's gotten their name under a picture of me that wasn't me, several times. Oh, there's boy. there's all that there's all that error there's all those mistakes right like oh here's Tobin and it's not Tobin it's somebody else completely <laughs> now having said all that you don't have a favorite player and and that's perfectly fine you're paying attention to the card so that rolls right into our next question do you have a favorite card one that you're particularly proud of designing or one that you're like man I really missed it on that one okay so are we talking about cards in the game or cards Car- that I have designed cards cards in the game that you have designed. Okay. The answer is... That you can actually talk about, not one that's coming. (laughs) I was just going to say, the answer is you haven't seen it yet. I actually had a discussion with someone about this just the other day. Because someone else in the department was like, oh, what's your favorite card? And I was like, now that I'm thinking about it, it's this one. And here's this reason why. Because you wouldn't expect me to say this as an answer. And then I was like, oh man, I can't talk about it because it's not out yet. (laughs) But if we're talking about cards that are out, I'm particularly happy with Paragon of Grace, the crane card from Children of the Empire that mm-hmm. is a Bushi and a Courtier, and if it's participating on your side alone, they discard a card, but if it's honored, they discard a card at random. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of little... It is not good at any one thing, but all of the pieces add up to something that is good. Right. And it plays into two themes that um, I particularly like for crane, or at least that I am partic- that I'm consciously supporting and aware of right now for crane which is our a reward for being honored that is not glory or not stats right Uh, here's an ability that is better when you're honored or here's an ability that requires you to be honored 
and also discarding cards from the opponent's hand. Crane is the card advantage through not bids clan, if such a thing exists. Um, and that hasn't really been developed in a unique way yet. So being able to develop in being able to develop it in a cool new way has been really fun and interesting. And I'm very happy with how that card came out. Fantastic. Anything that's your like muh that could have gone better? Um, that I designed? Yeah. Uh, I was not thrilled with how Tactician's Camp turned out, the lion holding in Children of the Empire. Yeah. Partially because it used to be another card that at the end of playtesting we decided was not good for the game. So it had to be designed at the last minute, and there just wasn't room or time for something that could be pushed. And I wish that it could have been something a little bit more interesting, fun, unique, exciting, but there are limitations. Yeah. And that ran into them. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? This is a, if you had, if you had a, an infinite amount of time, you'd put out some great cards, but you wouldn't put out cards because you'd have an infinite amount of time to design them. I was them. just going to say. <laughs> right. So eventually the real world says, oh, you have a due date, do the best yep. you can. Yep. Um, Has to be an end point. So. How much you want to polish yeah i'd say on that front as well talking talking about um us pushing our luck on um on forward information <laughs> is, there, um, is there something some mechanic or effect coming up that you could obliquely refer to without getting any of us into trouble <laughs> um I'm going to have to leave you to investigate that on your own. All right. No, no, no is a, no is a full sentence after all. No I'll leave that entire silence in there, Tyler. I'll leave that entire silence in there. Perfect. <laughs> you were wrestling. That's good. All right. So a question that you hopefully can answer. Uh, what has been your biggest challenge so far as lead developer of this game? Oh, big question. What has been the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge has been... Maybe this is just what's been on my mind recently. Balancing the mechanical design space of seven clans is a real challenge. Uh, making seven clans feel different enough from each other, but not making any one stronger or weaker than the other, and also making sure that the clans have diversity within themselves so that no clan gets one note in designing cards i have found myself repeatedly picking a mechanic or a theme or an ability that i particularly like for a clan and then reusing it a bunch and then you know during the development process being like wait why do i have three cards that all basically do the same thing okay now i need to change some of them and then it's like okay what do i change them to well i can't do 80 percent of the of this chart because that all is space that's reserved for other clans. So right. The making new and interesting cards that are different from other cards in the same clan that do not accidentally end up being cards from other clans is particularly difficult. Um, I feel like I'm doing a great job at it, but it is definitely not easy. <laughs> awesome. No, I, I would answer. agree. I would agree, Tyler. That I think you're doing a 
from what I've seen, a very good job of, of balancing those things as much as you can. And I, it's not surprising that that's your challenge because I think about whenever I start thinking about this game and how I'm going to play it, I it, my mind goes to uh, the things that I've been involved with, which has been uh, playtesting. Uh, I was a playtester for a while. And it, and I, you and I have had these discussions at, at our, when we've been together is design is something I just can't like I can't imagine just putting pen to paper or you know fingers to key keypad and coming up with the what is written on a card I can evaluate it to the cows come home I'm a great editor (laughs) we can evaluate it but coming up with these things out of whole cloth is something that I've uh I'm not paid to do it, so I don't really challenge myself with trying to figure out exactly how to do it. But it seems to me like something that's just out of my wheelhouse. So uh, kudos to you and, and, and the previous folks that have worked on this game for coming up with uh, a, ba- a game that really is as balanced as you can get with seven clans. Netrunner was four and three, right? And they didn't yep. have that. Like there were three there were three sides on the runner side and four on the corpse side. And for the most part, Anarch ruled the day on the runner side, right? So this, in its infancy, is still more balanced at seven than Netrunner was with a smaller number of clans, as it were. Well, right? I will say that one advantage that L5R has over Netrunner in that respect is the fact that it's not asymmetrical. Yeah, like right. Imagine trying to balance seven clans when half of the clans play a different game than the other half. Of the clans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, I don't yeah. think I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be rough. That'd be rough. And on, on the flip um, side too, L five R is rather more complex in the ways you can interact with another player. So you you have more space in which to have the clans vary. You know, yes. between honor draws, between honor loss, between fate wins, between losing fate from characters, and so on and so on and so forth. There are definitely enough moving parts in L five R that. The design space exists for all seven clans, to be sure. Well, and thing... I think that with Children of the Empire, you're off to a good start. Well, thank you. <laughs> One thing that I think uh, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know is that I probably design... If I say there's nine cards for each clan in Children of the Empire, I'm probably designing 20 cards for that clan over the course of the development process just for that product Mm -hmm. simply because like you design your first pass and then a third of those cards turn out to be broken or boring or otherwise you know not usable and then you redesign those which then force you to redesign another set of the set and then that redesigns another set of the set and like revisions are constantly undergoing and not just tweaks but like actual redesigns such that like there are, I, I will have designed so many more cards for L5R than will ever see the light of day. And my hope is that I can reuse some of them in the future. <laughs> right, right, you know, right. Yeah, you know, the traditional, the old school um, film director has a lot on the cutting room floor, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah but that's good because even if some cards or some mechanics fall flat for such and such reason, it encourages me that either they can be repurposed and reused later or just the fact that I tinkered with this and learned that it didn't work taught me this other thing, which then means I have a mechanic for the set three years from now. And like all of that design that doesn't get used 
does eventually get processed into, well, at least I know I'm going to have interesting mechanics for the next few years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> few mm-hmm. spare, right? This, this similar things can be said about research projects. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. In the academic <laughs> field. Like, Oh yeah, I want to go study that. Yeah. I can't do that now. That's next year's project. And so it gives, keeps getting pushed back but it's but you've written it down and you have little notes right and you have what you want to do and importantly that means that you always know there's more to do and there's more design space to explore Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like there's i don't think we're ever going to get to the point where like i'm just out of ideas for l5r well hopefully not i mean my my gosh (laughs) okay so so uh thank you very much tyler it's uh we've gone we're i don't know what time we're like we've stopped paying attention to how long we've gone yeah (laughs) we do want to i don't know if you know about this tyler but we do had we did have a uh, children of the empire contest for people to name the uh name our mr cultist from our little uh stories so the unicorn won the vote so we're going to choose from the three unicorn names that were suggested and we have chosen moto keshi as the name that um the Mr. Cultist character will take on and he will be a member of the Unicorn Clan. So I know Jason Wallace, our resident unicorn player, actually voted for him to be in the Crab Clan. And so, <laughs> which, which tells you what he thinks player. of uh, the cultist. So he's like, I don't want you in our clan, but he's going to yeah, end up in the unicorn, unicorn player. Anyway. He doesn't want a cultist in his own clan. <laughs> Jeez. We got some great, uh, the, there was, the, we hoped for this to happen, but our own joke got pushed back on us. We had someone suggest Ayuchi McMaho face. <laughs> so, so that came up. Seems legit. Yep. And then uh, Murder Setsu was the, the third submission for the Unicorn Clan. So all three of those folks will be contacting you. I will contact you because I will send you some swag. Motokeshi, the Casey Cheesecake, you have won your copy of Children of the Empire. I will be in touch and I will to figure out how I can get it to you. So congratulations and thanks for participating, everybody. Uh, Tyler, is there anything, again, thank you very much for your extended time today. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, I look forward to seeing how people are doing in the Kote series and the Elemental Championships that are coming up. Certainly, I know that uh, Phoenix is having a a wave of success right now, which is fun to watch. And I, I challenge everyone who is playing not Phoenix to... Make them fight for their victories. Yeah. Well, we've got a Cote here in Denver uh, late April, right before the roles switch over. So um, uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh, Thanks to all our Patreon supporters. If you're interested in supporting our efforts, check us out at patreon.com slash artofwarcast. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks. Have a good day. If you would like to join the discussion, have ideas for future episodes, feedback, or questions, you can contact us at artofwarcast at gmail.com, via Twitter at artofwarcast, via Facebook, or leave a comment in the episode's comment section. Please review us on iTunes. It helps other Rokugami find us. Thanks for listening, and remember, honor is the deadliest weapon. Uh, Go enjoy your Saturday. I think I will. Um... (laughs) Uh, don't probably not paint your figures or spray your figures or whatever you're gonna do. Some of them today or tomorrow. I'm gonna. Lol. The irony is probably is what I'm gonna do as soon as I get off is design score cards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go.